I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone. Tim Sylvie here, and welcome back to another episode of the Motormouth F1 podcast. This week, we're joined by Mark Priestley. Mark spent 10 years at the McLaren Formula One team before moving into broadcasting. He's still making appearances on BBC Five Live, reporting and commentating on the Formula One. He's already written and released a best-selling book about his F1 exploits, and he's now writing another, which he's about halfway through. He now travels the world speaking to businesses about how to apply F1 lessons to their business, to the boardroom. He's got his very own successful podcast. He's on TV screens with the Wheeler Dealers show. And in this episode, we're going to talk to him about how you can apply the principles he's learned in Formula One to your own life. Whether it's relationships or it might be something at work or something to do with your career. could be something else entirely. Formula One can be used to affect positive change if you apply the lessons in the correct way. I really hope you enjoy this episode and please, please do help us out and give us a follow and review wherever you listen. It makes a huge amount of difference. Right, on with the show. Mark, welcome back to the podcast. Where are you joining us from today? Uh, Well, I'm at home, which is uh, Surrey in the southern part of the UK. So yeah, it's a rare opportunity for me to be home, to be honest, because I'm traveling a lot at the moment, but I am at home. You are, you are, you are putting in the mileage. Now we had you on the show before back in the 27th of March, 2020, which was episode 16. And we're now, I think this will be like episode 180 something. Um, And that was actually the first remote recording we ever did when we were just getting into COVID isolation. And prior to that, we did them all face to face. Um, Some 180 episodes later, we've got you back and a lot has happened since then. I think last time we spoke about your work with um, Kimmy and McLaren and, and the book that you had released at that time. Um, but you've been very busy since then. Your podcast has gone from strength to strength. You're a regular on the international speaker circuit. You've got a, another book um, and become very adept at showcasing the lessons people can learn from Formula One. So a lot to cover. But let's let's 
go back first and just remind people how you became the person that you are today. What shaped you in your past or your childhood to be the individual that you are, do you think? Um, I mean, that's a, that's a big question, isn't it? I mean, everything that, that you go through in life, we all go through, shapes us. And every sort of success and failure, every incident, every moment that you sort of remember has some impact on your life. I think the biggest ones for me, I mean, I grew up in a fairly sleepy little village in Kent in the south of the UK. But what was significant about that village, because it wasn't notable for that much in terms of, you know, nobody famous came from that village. There was nothing really noteworthy in terms of big successes or anything like that. But the one thing that was really noteworthy of it was that Brands Hatch is situated there, racetrack. Um, And when I was a kid, the British Grand Prix was shared for a few years between Silverstone and Brands Hatch. And so in my really formative years, kind of uh, 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there, the British Grand Prix turned up to my sleepy little village. So motor racing kind of came to me, if you like, on this global stage. And I, I definitely remember, you know, hundreds of thousands of people descending on this village. There was probably just a few thousand people on any other day of the year thousands and thousands of cars from all over the world and all over Europe had driven to our little town, our little village, you know, and that was a, that really changed my perception of what this thing was that was motor racing. I'd heard of it, of course, because you can hear the noise of the cars in the background in the village, but the Grand Prix was just another level and you realise suddenly how this, this huge event is global and it's come to our town and that definitely captured my imagination you know, and has to have been a really significant factor in how I then went on to have a career in motor racing. Um, but other than that, my childhood was really quite, you would say, normal, whatever that means, but nothing stand out. There was no motor, motor racing history in my family. Um, we didn't have a lot of money. We, we couldn't afford to go to the Grand Prix. Um, but what we did get is a free ticket for living in the village to all of the other events over the course of the year that happened at Brands Hatch. So, you know, I exploited that. I used that to my advantage and I went in as many times as I could. F1 test day, that little pass would get you in. And so there are all sorts of things that I now look back on and think, well, that that, that love of motor racing that has shaped the rest of my life must have come from there. Now, a lot of, part, a lot of time has passed since you, um, since we last spoke to you and since you actually worked in Formula One in the, in the paddock with the teams. Um, if you, if listeners want to go back and hear about Mark's career, by the way, you just go back to episode 16 or search for the Motor Mouth podcast with Mark Priestley, episode 16. You can catch up on, on what Mark did during his Formula One career. But now that time has passed, Mark, how do you look back on your body of work in Formula One? Do you, do you look back on it with fondness, any regret, anything you do differently, or are you pretty, pretty on the whole happy with what you did? Very happy, very proud. Wouldn't change a single thing. Um, it was an amazing experience. I think what was best about it, and for those who don't know, I worked for McLaren for, for pretty much 10 years, but it was a dream for me. As Ever since those moments I just talked about when I was a kid and, and Grand Prix racing became a thing in my life, it took me a few years to really grasp the concept of the, that I could work in that. That could be a career for me, not just something I watch on television. And that's a, you know, a piece of advice I'd give to anybody. You know, whatever you sort of aspire to be, whether it's a pop star, an astronaut, whatever, Someone's got to do that job. You know, that's a job that somebody has to do. And the people that do it are no different to anybody. And I had that realization as a teenager that this thing that I spent all weekend watching and fascinating over 
why not make that the career for me? Then why not make that what I do for the rest of my life? And so that's I set out on that journey with a, a massive determination. Uh, persistence was the real key for me getting there. Wrote to all the teams for forever. And anyway, the long, the short version of the long story is that I eventually got my break with McLaren and spent 10 wonderful years there. What was most amazing about it was, yes, I was fulfilling a, a childhood dream and that dream was everything I hoped it would be and, and loads more. And what really came out of that was what's shaped the rest of my life since then. And that was being inspired by so many incredible people, not just the drivers. And I was lucky enough to work with some amazing greats, the likes of Mika Hacken and David Coulthard, Kimi Raikkonen, who I spent many years with, Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso, a really long list of impressive drivers. And I was a huge, huge part of that is luck that I was at McLaren, one of the big teams when those guys came through the peaks of their careers. But they inspired and shaped the way that I thought for the future. And it wasn't just the drivers. It was the the Adrian Newey's. It was the Ron Dennis's. It was everybody within every position in a Formula One team is the very best at what they do. And when you're surrounded by that day in, day out for a 10-year period, it completely changes the way that you think about life and everything. You know, striving to be the best, that focus on attention to detail that Formula One's famed for, and McLaren especially, famed for above and beyond, I guess, many other teams. Um, those things change the way I think forevermore. And so I can't look back on that 10-year period at McLaren and then the 10 years that followed where I spent time still going to races within the media, working for people like Sky and the BBC. I was still immersed in that world of excellence. And that is what I'm most grateful for. So there are zero regrets. Uh, it's all fondness. Very proud of the things we achieved on track, winning world championships with Mika and with Lewis. But I think most proud of the person that that has turned me into. And I've now been lucky enough to, to turn that into a sort of second career centered around Formula One, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And and that career is taking you all over the world. I mean, when we were scheduling this, you 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 were in the middle of traveling to Italy and various other places. Um, and you've been incredibly successful at it. And the way you speak, it lends itself to to talking to an audience. You can feel it. But when did that when did that moment come along where you thought, actually, or, or how did it come along that you were like, I need to, I can do this. I can speak to rooms full of people, very senior people about Formula One and, and relate it to their lives or business. When did that moment of realisation come around? Uh, probably not, as you'd imagine. Um, so, yeah, today I spend a lot of my time talking to corporate big companies, some of the biggest companies in the world. And I fly all over the planet to do that, to, to tell them about the things that I've learned through Formula One that can help them. But that was a that's the journey, that's the place I'm at today. That started probably 10 years ago, where a friend of mine was putting on a very small local event in a kind of village hall. It was probably 50 people. And they asked me if I would go and, and say some, you know, have a little speak, do a little talk for, for them. Uh, just a 20 minute talk. I'd never done anything like it before in my life. I sort of reluctantly said yes, just to help them out. And I put together a sort of little concept, wrote it all down. So I wrote the whole speech down on a bit of paper. But I was so terrified about going on stage. And I remember being stood backstage with this piece of paper with all of my words written down on. And when I finally got called out on stage, I was shaking so much I couldn't even read the bit of paper. <laughs> the nerves were, were just buckling. And um, I remember going through it. I got through it and I had to make half of it up because I genuinely couldn't read what I'd written. I was shaking so much in the beginning. 
But I got through it. And at the end of it, it seemed to be fairly well received. And somebody in the audience came and saw me afterwards. And unbelievably, and this is a, one of those sliding doors moments, but somebody in the audience worked for a speaking agency in London and said to me that, you know, you've got some great stories. You are, you know, we can refine what you're doing because I certainly was far from perfect at that point in terms of delivery. But the stories were there. The knowledge about what I was talking about was clearly there. And they asked me if I'd like to do more of it. And I had this moment where I thought, well, I really, well, the answer was no, because I hated every moment of the last 20 minutes. But I did appreciate that it was an opportunity and I definitely always like to push myself in new directions. So I said, yes. I said, why not? Let's give it a, let's talk about it. And that basically led on to me doing some more talks through the speaking agency, which was a fairly big one in London. And it's just grown organically over the past 10 years or so. I grew to love the process. People do seem to like what I have to say and how I say it. And these are all things that have come, by the way, from Formula One, the, the sort of communication and the importance of communication, how we communicate all the different levels and layers of communication, which are key in Formula One when you're debriefing drivers or talking over the radio, for example. You've got to be concise. You've got to be really clear about what you want to say and how you want to say it. So these lessons have all played their role in what I do today. But over the past 10 years, that little speech at a village hall has grown into a career where, like you say, I now, I mean, I'm off to Santiago in Chile tomorrow to go and give a 30-minute talk to a bank in Chile. I find that crazy, but I also appreciate that I can offer some real value to them because I've had this privileged experience of living a life in this elite environment of Formula One. And all the lessons that I've learned from that, I've managed to translate into a, a kind of a, a means of communicating that to any industry, any kind of corporation or business, make it relevant to them. And they will come away from that talk, hopefully inspired, rejuvenated with a series of ideas that came from Formula One that can be directly applied to them. So that's that's what I do today. And I love it. I now don't get nervous backstage. I bounce onto the stage when my name's called out. And and I love every second of it. I really enjoy that process. Do you know what? We'd, I, we should talk about this offline and I, and I might have to put a favor, but, but we, I'd love to get you to my son's school. They, they had yeah. a, uh, they had a, a speaker who was an explorer. I can't remember his name. I followed him on Instagram afterwards. And he, he basically walked the Amazon and he's walked, you know, various points of the globe. And he had, he regaled the kids with incredible stories of his sort of feats and, and they were all completely hypnotized by it. And, you know, formula one, they've asked me to go in a couple of times to my, my, um, younger son's, um, school. And I just, I just wouldn't know what to talk about. I'm like, I'd love to come in, but I don't know what I'd say. Probably a bit like you in that first, um, village hall experience, but does your, does your patter and your, um, your delivery of the message change depending on who you're talking to, or is it, is there broadly a set formula and then you just sort of deviate from it depending on who you're, who you're speaking with? No, it does change. Um, I mean, effectively I said to you in that very first speech i wrote the whole thing down today of course i don't do that today what i have is a collection of, of stories and messages that are all in my head over 10 years of doing this and effectively what happens is before i meet the client before i go to the event i have a, a briefing call a conversation with the client to understand what their challenges are within the business and it's it's always sort of, people find it strange that i speak to companies like google for example one of the world's biggest 
and most successful organizations. And you might think, well, why on earth do they need someone from Formula One to come and to, to come and help them and give them some ideas on how to be more successful? They're already hugely successful. But the reality is that everybody's looking to grow and become even more successful than they are now. And that doesn't just mean earning more money. It doesn't just mean, you know, rising your way further up the rankings in your industry. It might be internal challenges. It might be having to deal with some massive change. COVID was a great example. Everybody's having to deal with massive change off the back of the pandemic, which was now years ago, but people are still dealing with that. Environmental changes, changes to the way that people want to work because of COVID. They don't want to come into the office. All of those things, which make a huge difference to an organization, are not easy to implement because everybody's different. Everybody reacts differently to these changes. Formula One is one of the best industries at dealing with change because think about it, the regulations are changing every year. You know, you're, you're coming up against challenges every race where something's different. You can't just roll out the same formula every time. You might become very, I mean, look at Mercedes, became very good, dominated the sport for seven or eight years when no one could really touch them. And then the rules changed and they haven't quite dealt with that as well as other teams. And it's now Red Bull that dealt with that change best. We're having to deal with those changes all the time, sometimes year on year. So when you go through that that um, lifestyle and that environment for a 10 year period like I did, you learn to adapt to change very, very well. You learn to understand how to adapt to those changes. And I can share those messages with any organization in any industry. I have this briefing call and find out what they need. And then I put the stories that are in my head when I'm on stage into a context that will mean something to them. So it's all about communication and how you communicate. Same messages quite often between different clients and different events, but told in a very different way that will mean something and resonate to them. And can you can you literally apply Formula One to anything? I mean, have you ever had a client where you've just gone, I'm really sorry, I, I just can't help you. I, I, this, this isn't going to work. No, it, it does apply to everything and everybody. And you know, one of the reasons I started my podcast was because even though I'm doing this in the corporate world all the time now, traveling around the world, speaking to all these corporate organizations, the same principles and messages apply to all of us individuals. And that's what the, the genesis of the podcast was, really. It was it's called Pit Lane Life Lessons, and it's about teaching people how to deal with those same challenges in life. A company has to deal with massive change, but so do we. We're all dealing with what's happened off the back of COVID. You might be dealing with challenges as a parent, you know, financial challenges you're up against that you face all the time. And they can be overwhelming for people. And there are so many of these things that Formula One have taught me all about Formula One and the technical side and the racetrack. But actually the same messages and the same lessons can be applied to parenthood. They can be applied to relationships. You know, all of this stuff, it all boils down when you really think about it to the same things of, dealing with change, communication, understanding how to grow and how to be better in maybe small increments at a time, something very Formula One's very, very good at. Working together as a team with others, working under pressure. We face pressure and stress all the time. Think about doing a pit stop in the most amazing pressure cooker environment. I've learned that. I've had to deal with that. As a team, we were taught how to deal with that. So I can translate all of those things to absolutely anybody. And I firmly believe at Formula One, this I'm writing a, a second book, as you alluded to, which is exactly this, developing a model based on Formula One that people can apply to their lives to deal with whatever they face. 
And I truly believe that, that this is going to be something that, that can, particularly if you're a Formula One fan, because that's going to resonate with you more, but can change people's lives if you take on board some of the lessons that we learnt, which were at the time specifically for F1, but I truly believe can apply to anybody and anything. Now you've got obviously, as you mentioned, the Pit Lane Life Lessons podcast. You're doing the doing the speaker um, uh, stuff all, all around the world. Um, you're in the broadcasting world, which we'll come on to shortly. There's a lot going on in your life. Um, you've got wheeler dealers, of course. There's there's a huge amount of stuff there. Have are you applying some of these learnings, presumably, to your own life? Because there's a huge oh, amount yeah. of juggling going on there. So I guess you've got to kind of sit yourself down and go, right, come on, Mark. Like, how do I? How do I put that in that folder and make sure that this is, you know, I'm in charge of this bit and I'm getting all my ducks in a row. So you're applying your own lessons to yourself to a degree. Absolutely. I mean, 100 percent. I mean, that's where it has to start with any of us. And, you know, one of the things that that changed my life post Formula One or during my Formula One time at McLaren really was that I was quite central in a, a change that we went through at McLaren where we were kind of groundbreaking at the time where we went through a major shift from being a Formula One team that focused almost everything on the technical aspect of what we did. So all of our budget, all of our time and energy and effort all went on to trying to shave a tenth of a second off the lap time of the car by designing a new front wing, creating a new floor, all of those things. And that's what everybody did during that period. We're talking about the mid-2000s here. It was all technical. In the middle of that, that period, which is the middle of my spell at the team, I was kind of instrumental in, in trying to make a change within the team to understand that none of those technical things happen without the people behind them being in the best shape, physically, mentally, the best place in terms of well-being and, and satisfaction in their jobs and happiness and all of these different things that back then were often sort of termed as being fluffy and, uh, and soft skills. The realization for me was that they're far from that because although we're a technical organization, we're a people-based organization. And if you think about it, every organization is. Um, so we can't get anything happening on the technical side if we haven't get if we're not getting the best out of our people. And so I led this change within the within the team that centered around that, and we went through some huge change, and I learned a lot. We taught together the team as a lot. But what really shifted in my life was when I left the team this understanding that I became fascinated with personal development and, you know, the way that we develop people in a team. And I went on just off my own back to sort of study things like human behavior and psychology for the next five years, just in my own time. And it was that that then shaped some of these concepts that I talk about in the speaking world and through my podcast. It's what my book is now about. So, absolutely the first person you, you develop those skills on is yourself and and I have been through an enormous personal development journey over the past two years something I'm really proud of something I continue it's never done it's something that is ongoing but I've I've learned so much it all began in Formula One but I've taken it on and it's become a, a thing of its own now so yeah juggling my time is a really important one again very clear links to what we did in Formula One because they're not going to delay the race if you're not ready. So you have to manage your time impeccably with huge pressure and a lot to do. Um, working around others and with others. Think about that just in terms of, say, a pit stop, for example, something where we have to have complete trust in the people around us, working well with those people. That can apply to your family relationships, your personal relationships, 
the relationships you might have with the team of people you work with, the friend groups, all of these things are applicable. And so by working on these things personally and learning to manage my own time, learning to get myself in a, in a good place, it helps me in all of the other areas of my life, of course. And, you know, one of the things that I absolutely appreciate now more than ever is this. I spend a lot of time on airplanes, uh, as you can imagine. You always get that message on the airplane where they say when they're going through the safety briefing about putting your own oxygen mask on if the situation arises before helping somebody else. And I always used to think that's ridiculous because, you know, if my kid's sitting next to me, I'm sorting them out before me because you would. That's how you feel. But the truth is, it makes no sense. If you're struggling around trying to put someone else's oxygen mask on, you're going to pass out and you're not going to be any help to anybody. And just thinking about that in terms of your life and my life is exactly what I've done. And so working and putting a lot of time and effort into my personal development, which at the beginning I thought maybe is a bit selfish. In reality, I've now convinced myself it isn't selfish at all. It's the most unselfish thing you can do because getting myself in the right place means I'm now able to help others through all of the different things I do at home relationships, but also through things like the podcast and, and trying to share these messages with other people. Have you ever, um, have you ever gone to a back to a formula one team and shared your learnings from formula one and applied it back to a formula one team that perhaps are struggling with a little bit of internal, you know, squabbling or hierarchy or whatever it might be? Yeah, I have. I've done it a couple of times, actually. It's not not always just that clear cut, but certainly around certain um, challenges within a, a team or within an organisation. Um, it's one of the things I do in, in terms of the consultancy. Um, I, I've definitely done that. I mean, I, I can't talk about who it's who I've spoken to because it's uh, that's all confidential. But yeah, I've been brought back into more than one Formula One team to discuss exactly this kind of thing. Um, and it's not trying to teach a Formula One team how to be a Formula One team. It's trying to, to help a group of people work better together as a group of people. And the knock-on result of that might be that they end up being a better Formula One team. But I'd never be as arrogant as to think I can go in and teach a Formula One team how to be better at being an F1 team. But what I can do, knowing what I now learn, I've learned and I've studied over the years, is I can help people to grow into better people and to work better with other people together you know and, and that is what a team is that's what a team environment is creating a right culture in an organization that applies to formula one just as it does a bank in santiago who i'm off to see tomorrow yeah no it's it's so interesting and um I, i'm i'm very much an advocate for this because um i've i've had an 18 year career um in formula one and motorsport on the commercial side of things um sponsorship consultancy agencies brands whatever and um the only thing I've been able to rely on are soft skills. I have no other skills apart from the knowledge that I've gained through my own career. I have no, I'm not academic. I'm terrible at maths. You know, I'm, I wouldn't, I'd be a terrible professional in sort of like a, you know, solicitor or I don't know, accountancy kind of scenario. But what I do have is soft skills and that has literally carried me through my career to date and continues to even now, you know, albeit backed up with some knowledge that I've picked up along the way about the industry, but how highly, do you value soft skills? Because I go on about them a lot and think they're they're lacking in in so many individuals and so many departments. Um, what what value do you place on them? Um, everything and and calling them soft skills is is the wrong term. It's what the reason we call them soft skills is because we used to call the hard skills the important ones and the soft skills were the things that sort of followed up if you had time or, or were less important. 
And that's exactly what I'm talking about in terms of this realization that I've been through, but also the team McLaren went through in the mid 2000s. Soft skills is the wrong thing to call them because it has a connotation that they're not as important, which is nonsense. Soft skills, you know, these skills, these human skills, and that's what they really should be called, just human skills, are as important. If There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Not more important because they are the, the foundation for all of the things we often used to call hard skills. You know, you can't have the hard skills if you haven't got the soft skills. Knowing what, you know, understanding how to look after yourself, like I said before, knowing knowing how to put yourself in the right place mentally and physically in terms of being happy and satisfied, getting your well-being in the right place. These are things, dealing with other people, being empathetic to other people around you, things that people and businesses especially placed almost no value on. And yet, if you want the hard skills, if you want the, the technical focus, if you want the brilliant ideas to come out of somebody who's in a design office, for example, if those people are really miserable and unhappy at work, you're never going to get the best level of creativity. You know, it's, and it's not exactly the same if you're a lawyer or a solicitor, whatever it might be, you're never going to get the best out of somebody if they're not happy and content and satisfied and feel like they're on a journey of progress and all of these things that we used to scoff at years ago. So the level of importance I put on them today is the very highest level you can you can put on anything. Because I don't believe I, the old school way of doing things in Formula One, but also I'm sure around the world in anything, was leaders at some companies used to rule with an iron, an iron stick, didn't they? It was do this, do it my way. And if you don't like it, get out. And you know, Formula One, to some extent, was like that to a, in, in some ways. That can work in a really short space of time in certain circumstances. There are times when you just have to trust your leadership that there's no time for explaining decisions. We might be under massive pressure. I need you to do this. I need you to do it right now. That can work on a very short-term basis, but it's not a long-term um, method for success. The only way it works is when you've already built the soft skills, if you want to call them that, into your organization so that everybody in that team trusts their leader and their leadership so that when that moment comes along and they're a bit brutal, a bit abrupt, we need it done now, this is what we can do, you have complete trust in that person that they're doing it for the right reasons and we can talk about it later. But if you're constantly just thinking along those lines of, of, of a dictatorship type organization, you lose all trust, you lose all sympathy from your workforce. And whilst 
fear might get you a tiny part of that way by getting some people to do what you want. They're going to be miserable and unhappy. And on the days when you need a bit of creativity, you need some good ideas, you need them to work together, it is not going to happen. And so soft skills, human skills are the ones that should be at the very top of any organization's priority list in my book. Yeah, no, I'm, we're cut from the same cloth there. I'm completely with you. And I mean, I would feel like that because it's all I have, <laughs> you know, without that, I'm, I'm in a dire, the dire straits. But the way you're talking in that sense is the way a lot of people talk as if it's not as good as having some, what we, what we termed hard skills. It's just as valuable and if not more valuable. So if you're really adept at those human skills, you are you know, a long way up the sort of the, the order, if you like, way ahead of a lot of people. We're at a time in life where these human skills are now starting to be appreciated by a lot of organizations. And that's why I have this career that I have where I can go and they want me to come and speak to them about this because they're appreciating how important they are. But we're only really at the beginning of that curve in reality. And so there's a huge opportunity. So someone who has great human skills for me is a massive asset and it can be an asset in all aspects of life. The, the, the sort of narrative that we've all been told over the past 100 years is that actually that makes you less valuable that someone, than someone who's got a degree in, in mathematics or has got, you know, uh, or is, a, is a plumber or a welder, someone that can do something practical. They are all, they're all valuable skills. None are more important than others. But to have those human skills alongside anything else makes somebody hugely valuable. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Now, let's turn our attention to the broadcasting world. You've appeared alongside one of our podcast hosts, Harry, Harry Benjamin, for BBC Five Live's F1 coverage. Um, are you enjoying it? Do you enjoy that side of things, the broadcasting and the, the radio work? Yeah, I do. Um, broadcasting was the first thing I did when I first left the team. I joined Sky Sports. or the BBC, In fact, I joined the BBC first. It was the very first thing I did on the Five Live um, broadcast right on the radio. And then it led on to a, a sort of four or five year spell with with. Um, Sky and with ESPN and Star Sports in Asia. So I've done a bit of broadcasting. I've worked with Formula E on their live broadcast as well. I really enjoy it. And the reason I enjoy it is the same reasons I enjoy being on stage talking to companies because it's communication. I mean, I think one of my skill sets is communication. As I said, it's come from Formula One. But because I have an understanding of the technical side of a sport, but of the, also the inside of, of this sport, having been in there, having had this unique or privileged position to see it all from the inside which not many people get if i'm able to communicate that to those watching or listening i feel like that's a really valuable thing to have of course you always get the perspective of a driver and that's a valuable perspective it's a really important one and one that even fewer people get to to experience themselves but i also think there's real value in understanding that perspective from a team's point of view and that's what i've really enjoyed doing over over this broadcasting career is it's a sport that I love. You know, I'm still hugely passionate about Formula One. So if someone is going to give me the, the privileged position to be able to talk about it and be paid for it, of course, but to talk about it and share those experiences, that's just a dream come true for me. I love it. Tell us about your book. You've you've written a book before. You've got one. Is it released yet or is it out there? No, so- it's being written. The second book I'm in the middle of right now. Um it's an arduous process. I'm realizing how difficult it is, again, to write a book. Uh, the first book I wrote, which is actually a few years ago now, probably five years ago now, was essentially it was a biographical story. It was my journey through Formula One on the inside at McLaren, all the things that happened. 
uh, it's gone down incredibly well. It was an Amazon number one bestseller last week, which I only noticed recently. So wow. that's great. After five years, it's selling really well. People are really enjoying it, which I love. So I decided to write another one, or the, the um, publishers asked me to write another one. But the second book is very much on the topics that I've talked to you about today. It's all about these things that I talk to corporations about that I know can help the individual too. So I'm trying to put all of that into this new context for people to understand, developing a sort of model they can try. And, the idea being to help people to think more like an F1 team would think about the challenges of their life. You know, if you come up against some challenge, like I said before, what would an F1 team do in this situation? That's the kind of premise for it. And I'm going through all of, you know, a series of chapters of different types of challenges that we all face on a daily basis, even some bigger ones, existential challenges that we come up against every now and again. And also, you know, tips for trying to help people to become successful, whatever that means for them, whether that's in a career or just in a relationship or, or just being happy in life, whatever you, you determine success. This model, I hope, will help you to, to think about that like an F1 team would. The challenge is it requires a huge amount of research, whereas the first one was my story. It was all just in my head. This one requires an enormous amount of research because there's science in there. There's a lot of um, theory, which I'm having to, to, to study myself. And that means you go through weeks, sometimes months of reading material, studying stuff, making notes without actually putting any words on the page. And that can be incredibly frustrating. So it is a challenge. It's a tough one. And I'm having to draw on all of these things that I'm writing about <laughs> to get myself through it. But it's it's also really enjoyable. And I and I do love it. And I'm really excited. I'm only about halfway through, if that, at the moment. So it's, it's it'll be probably towards the end of next year when anyone finally gets to see it. But um, right, okay. I'm really excited. I think it, it could be a really good, a good book. Now, we have uh, a lot of young people that listen to this show, um, and many of them, uh, you probably, as much as I, get um, messages through LinkedIn um, saying, you know, have you got any openings? Is there anything I can do? Do you know anything that's available in Formula One? How can I get into it? If there are people out there listening who want to get a career in Formula One and they're focused on Formula One only, I'm not talking other forms of racing, it's a very competitive space. How can people make themselves stand out from the crowd? Yeah, and, it, and I do get this a lot. And it's, uh, it's a good question to ask because I think this is really important advice to anybody. I mean, this, that was me back then. That was me when I was a kid, solely focused on Formula One. Nothing else mattered. Uh, you know, I, I got through to my A-levels. I was about to start A-levels going in a completely different direction. I was going to be a graphic designer. But that was because I was lost at that point, not really knowing what to do until I had this sudden realization that the passion that I had for Formula One could actually be this career. And at that point, everything pivoted and I went 100% all in. The way that I did it, and this is what I always tell people, there are two things that you can really rely on to give you the opportunity or give you an advantage over others. One is persistence. Um, you know, and I back then it was writing letters. That's how old I am. You had to write a letter. Um, I was writing letters to every Formula One team, but I did it over years and years and I did it every couple of weeks. So as soon as I got a response back from a team that basically said, no, thanks, but no thanks, I immediately wrote back again. And I did that. I cannot tell you, I've got a stack of letters, you know, at home, this big of rejection letters that I keep. My kids drive, drives my kids mad because I'm always telling them to go and look at it. <laughs> um, and the one on top of that pile is the one that I finally got back from McLaren after years of trying who 
caved in, I think, after me sort of becoming such a pain in the backside that they thought, you know, let's just let this guy in for a, a chat. So persistence is one thing. It depends how much you want this. And this is another lesson. I'm always trying to link these lessons back to, to Formula One. Depending on how much, how far you're willing to go to get what you want and think about this in terms of a Grand Prix, the fastest pit stop or getting yourself a job in Formula One, the further you go down that path of persistence and looking for smaller and smaller details and incremental improvements in whatever you're trying to achieve, you've got to think about, let's say there's another 100 people trying to do the same thing as you. After 10 no's, 10 rejection letters, a good chunk of those people are going to give up. They're all going to go, well, I've given it a good shot, but you know, I've got a no from every single team. Maybe it's not for me. If you keep going, you've, you've, you're ahead of those you know, 10% already. And then at, you know, 50% of those people are going to give up after, say, 20, 30, 40 no's, because it just makes no sense to keep going. You're bashing your head against a brick wall. But it's how far, how much do you want it? How far are you willing to go? You know, in a pit stop terms, we're talking about shaving hundreds of a second off a, an event that lasts for a little more than two seconds now. And that can take a huge amount of effort and time, resource to try and achieve that hundredth or tenth of a second. It makes no sense when you look at it on paper to spend that amount of time, which is money, resource on to, shave, to shaving a, a tiny fraction off a pit stop. But if your rivals give up and think like that, which they will at some point, if you're willing to go a little bit further, you put yourself in the prime seat. And that's how teams look at pit stops. There's nothing that's not worth doing. And I would apply exactly the same lesson to someone who's trying to, to get a job in terms of persistence. Just don't give up. I mean, if you really want it, don't give up. Because in the end, you will break through and you'll just be there for so long that somebody will eventually give you a shot. So that's one thing. And the second thing is, when you're coming out of, say, university or college and you've got your degree, there's a lot of great degrees in motorsport now. And they're really good. Definitely worthwhile pursuing one of those. They didn't have them when I was uh, going through that phase. But now you can you can specialise in, in motorsport. But there's going to be a thousand other kids at the end of that year coming out with a degree in that particular speciality. And most of them will want to get to Formula One. So each Formula One team is going to get a thousand people sending in their CV with a degree at the end of it, which looks great. But you're just one of a thousand people that have that. So you've got to think about a way to stand out. And there's a number of ways. You can be as creative as you like as this. But I've been in a position, in a managerial position, where I get those CVs. I've been there and had them all dumped on my desk or turn up in my inbox. I'm looking for one that's different to the rest. So a thousand brilliant CVs, all with a great first-class degree, is amazing. But which one jumps off the page at me? And it could be as simple as making your CV printing on a colored piece of paper rather than a white bit of paper. It might be as basic as that putting a great big black header at the top so that when you're flicking through them, it stands out. And you might just stop for a second and have a little look at that one. It might be attaching it to something. You know, um, it might be bringing it, when you deliver that CV, it might be delivering it with a piece of work that you've done. If you want to get into CFD or computer-aided design or whatever, put some bit of piece of work you've done alongside it, attach it to it. So it's not just a bit of paper with a CV. It's those kind of things creativity is what makes people differentiate from somebody else to stand out. And particularly if you're going into a job in, bear in mind, there are hundreds and hundreds of jobs in Formula One. So a career in Formula One, that's, that could be any number of things. It could be as a mechanic or an engineer like I was, but it could be 
facing yourself in an office designing cars. If you're doing whatever it is you're doing, attach a body of work that's relevant to that. Show someone that you've given up your time and, and volunteered your services with a really small karting team at the weekends. You know, you've got the degree, but you've actually got out and gone some practical experience. If the other 999 people didn't do that, you're already ahead of the game. So thinking outside the box and being as creative as you can. And you've got to always put yourself in the picture, in the mindset of the person receiving your CV. Are they just going to be bored flicking through thousands of, of letters? And if they are, how are you going to break that boredom? And as I said, the world is your oyster in terms of creativity. And the more creative you can be, it can be as crazy as you think. It's those things that are going to stand out. Make a video, you know, show up an episode of a podcast you've done. Show your passion for what you want to achieve. Those are the things that will break through. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, actually, Cleo Collins uh, is a very good example of this. Who's the? She's just been promoted to number one mechanic at the Alpine support team. And we had her on the show a week or two ago. And uh, she's completely self-taught. She was doing some track track uh, days in her own car, learned how to fix it on YouTube and just taught herself, taught herself, taught herself to the point where she eventually nagged and nagged and got herself a job at Alpine after going through you know, a few apprenticeships with some smaller teams in, in other series. And, and she's within four years, she's now been promoted to number one mechanic at the, at the support team at Alpine. It's, it's an amazing story. Um, and, and that sort of dedication is key in self, self-learning. Um, Mark, we're quickly running out of time. Actually, we've got, um, we've got another recording in 15 minutes. One of our sister shows, the OMG MotoGP podcast hosted by uh, Harry Benjamin, who we referenced earlier, and Keith Ewan. They're standing by uh, <clears throat> in 15 minutes to take over this recording. So we'll be quick and we'll flick through to our final three. And these are probably the same vinyl three that we asked you two years ago when we last spoke on uh, on the show. So it'd be interesting to, to compare and contrast. Uh, the first one for you, what's got you excited at the moment? Uh, well, in Formula One, it's the next generation of rule change. So the 2026 conversation that's happening, I'm really excited about because I'm a technical guy. Um, but also, this is a massive change particularly things around sustainable fuels. I'm really excited to see where that goes because, you know, I, I firmly believe that and this is one of the things I actually talk to a lot of companies about. Formula One faced or faces what could be an existential threat to its future around environmental challenges. Clearly, it could be possible that people, the world, turn against anybody or anything like they did with smoking years ago that, you know, openly is harming the environment for just the, the, the sort of entertainment purposes. And that's what Formula One does right now. We travel around the world, we burn gas guzzling fuels in cars. They've taken that threat and turned it into, I think, what could be a huge opportunity by developing sustainable fuel technology, which could not just revolutionize Formula One, but think about it, it could change the world. Imagine the brilliant engineers in Formula One develop this tech to an astronomical level where it transforms the cars we drive on the road we no longer have to rely everything on electric. We can keep many of the same cars, run the same network of petrol stations, but run them on a sustainable fuel that's almost emission-free as time goes on. How good would that be? And what a legacy Formula One could end up creating from what could be a potential threat. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens with that that sort of F1 reset moment as well. And we see what all the, the teams managed to do. Um, number two, how much of your success do you put down to luck and right place, right time? And how much do you put down to hard work and graft? Um, they both play a huge part. And there's no way anyone can ever deny that, that luck is, is significant. 
yes, I've worked very hard to, to get where I've got to today, but I've talked to you about a couple of those sliding door moments. The person in that audience when I did my first talk, who knows if I'd have ever ended up where I'm, what I'm doing today if they weren't there. Um, the person at McLaren who eventually caved in and, and gave in to, to that final letter that I wrote them, if they hadn't done that, and that was one person, that was somebody looking at that going, oh, come on, let's just get him in. That's luck. Of course it's luck. Growing up next to Brands Hatch, huge luck. I didn't move there. I didn't seek out Formula One. It kind of came to me. Massive luck. But we all have those opportunities in life. There are enormous amounts of sliding door moments. They may not seem always lucky at the time, but sliding doors moments are moments where you get to choose a fork in the road, one or the other. Which one are you going to take? Do you get up when the alarm goes off? Or do you wait 15 minutes? And what opportunity did you miss in that 15 minutes? Those things make a difference and they can shape your life. So uh, it's probably 50-50. You get the luck and some people get the same lucky opportunities, but don't maximize them with hard work. You've got to have both. What are you scared of? <laughs> um, blimey, what am I scared of? Spiders. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know, I'm honestly, I, I don't think, if I think, if I'm honest here, I don't think I'm scared of, of much. Uh, and that's not a bravado thing. I think that I see, I'm a very positive person anyway in life. I don't see much that I'm scared of because even the things that that maybe don't look good in our future, I I sort of see opportunity. And, you know, there's a whole conversation around things like AI. What is that going to be the end of the world or is it going to be the making of humanity? Who knows? I like to sort of try and see the positive in all these things. Um, there's a big question. My wife and I had this conversation the other day. If we were about to have children today, would you do it? Would you bring them into a world that's so uncertain, has so many potential negatives on the horizon? And my view is that I would do because we need those children to shape the, the sort of positive future. You know, we do our bit now and they got to carry the, the baton on. So I'm just a very positive type of person. And I think that's probably come from Formula One as well. All these things I can trace back. Even when you have a, a sort of negative moment or something that worries you or scares you, there will always be a positive or an opportunity on the other side of that. So I always try and flip my mindset as quickly as I can. It's not always easy. And of course, there are some scary things about the future of, of life and humanity, um, particularly spiders. <laughs> but, um, but you know there's always going to be a positive side to it and i think the more we think along those lines the more likely we are to sort of make it happen yeah uh, love it i mean i um it's very refreshing to talk to someone who has that positive mindset i preach positivity and i i actively banish negative people from my life i literally don't let them in and unless i feel like that they could use some positive positivity in their life and there's something they're worth listening to but generally speaking i've just I just don't, don't get on with it. I, I, I push it, actively push it away. And it's funny when you talk to people like you, you realize um, how many people don't share that mindset. Um, I think positivity is a, you know, ultra positivity is a rare trait. And, you know, in day-to-day -day life, you don't come across it very often. So it's great to hear that. Um, it's from my it's also really difficult to, you know, somebody who's not feeling positive, particularly someone who's a bit down and depressed, and that's completely understandable. It happens all the time. There's lots of reasons to feel like that. You can't tell someone will just, you know, perk up and, and be positive. It is something that you have to build towards, you know, but it needs positive people in the world to share positive messages and to, to help the people that are not feeling very positive. So, you know, I firmly believe that if anyone's lucky enough to be in a positive state, you've got to use that. That's a, a sort of privileged position to be in. 
you've got to take the responsibility I think that comes with it and and share that positivity not in a preachy you've got to buck your ideas up kind of way but always trying to help people and show people that there is another side to life and there is always positivity at some point down the line one thing that Formula One's taught me is everything changes nothing ever stays the same ever no matter how good you are no matter how good Mercedes were a couple of years ago they're no longer they're struggling like crazy Red Bull are dominating the world right now they won't be forever everything changes so no matter how you're feeling there is always a time further down the line that will be better I couldn't agree more. And and I, I actually had, you know, you speaking then reminded me of a scenario I had very recently where um, a mate of mine um, who has been going through a rough time, very depressed, very unhappy in his work um, to the point of being signed off work um, and nothing had helped him. And his partner asked if I could have a chat with him because she was sort of run out of options, not thinking I would help at all. And I took my probably sometimes annoyingly positive attitude into that chat with him and we sat down and watched a game of cricket together at a village green and spoke for an hour over a beer or two and somehow it got through to him and I was being perennially positive and was you know talking about his work I was like you know your work is the problem here this is where it all stems from you need to leave mm-hmm. that job and he was worried about his mortgage and you know kids and schooling and everything but he did change his position at work and he is getting happier and it was my wife said to me yesterday when she was away this weekend with her with his um, with his wife, that the one conversation that changed his attitude was ours, which touched me massively because I didn't get, I didn't, that wasn't my goal. My alcohol, obviously I wanted to help him, but it's nice to know that being positive and also telling a few home truths, like, come on, mate, yeah. you've got this, um, actually made an impact in someone's life. So I'm all for this and I'll, yeah. I, I intend to continue spreading this message of positivity. And I think what you're doing is, is amazing and it's uplifting talking to you. I feel invigorated for my day ahead. So um, huge thanks for joining us on the show, Mark. And I'm sure we'll get you on again once the book's finished um, and we can talk all about that as well. Um, any parting words that you want to leave with our audience? Uh well, the parting words that I leave every one of my podcast episodes with and a sort of mantra that I use for my life is always do the right things, do the things right. And that for me means trying to make the right decisions in life every single day. And at the end of every day, I try and question myself on this. Did I get it? How close to getting it right did I come? Uh, and then doing the things right is once you've made those right decisions and the right choices, did you sort of maximise those things each day so yeah it's a little thing that i have i have it everywhere it's on my screensaver it's on my phone i write it in my diary all the time so do the right things do the things right see how close you can get to that today mark thanks for joining us pleasure mate Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too. So make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.